Hier komen wij in vreemd. You're listening to Red Flag Radio, revolutionary socialist podcast recording on Indigenous land that was stolen and never ceded, that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. My name is Ros Ward and I'm shortly to be handing over the podcast to new hosts, which um, includes Emma, who's with us today. Hello, Emma. Hey, Ros. I'm sure it'll be in safe hands, I promise. Good. I'll be back, so it better be. Um, (laughs) If you enjoy the show, we're going to be also relaunching our Patreon account. Um, so keep an eye out for that. It's patreon.com Red Flag Radio Podcast for more information on how you can support the podcast as we continue to build and grow. And today's episode, we're excited to have an international guest, um, John Mullen, to talk about what's going on in France. Obviously, it's been quite the spectacle for us socialists following it here in Australia, very exciting period of um, uprising and revolt. And John is a revolutionary, long-term revolutionary socialist who's uh, who lives in the Paris region um, and is a supporter of the group France Insoumise uh, and has a political website, randombolshevik.org, if you want to check out John's writings and also has been published many times in Red Flag newspaper. So thank you for being with us this exciting Well, thank time. you for inviting me. I, I, I'm a great fan of Red Flag, so I'm delighted to be here. Um, all right, let's go from the beginning then. The background to this current revolt that we're seeing, basic question, I guess, but maybe a complicated answer. What makes, what has made people so angry? What's going on? What's the spark, the trigger, the cause? Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is a, a huge revolt and it, it could allow us to push neoliberalism in France back a long way. Macron is worried. Many of his own allies are abandoning him and the, the, the Small Employers Federation was employing, was complaining this week that every mass day of action costs a billion and a half euros. I mean, he's probably exaggerating, but <laughs> the movement is hitting hard. Now, why we're doing it is that um, uh, Macron suddenly announced uh, last year uh, that everybody is to work two years longer before uh, the minimum retirement age. The minimum retirement age right now for almost everybody is 62 and he wants to move it to 64. He also wants to uh, abolish the better schemes which have been negotiated in some areas uh, in the railways and the electricity or abolish all the better the better schemes that uh, individual sectors have uh, negotiated. Uh, he has had uh, he, he has been obliged, as I'll explain in a moment, to push this through without a parliamentary vote. And all this is just the, the last straw because people are always already angry about cuts in public services, laws making things harder for the unemployed. Then there was a huge yellow vest movement three years ago. And then, of course, inflation is hitting hard in Europe. So there's all, all these things. Um, so it's very exciting. And, and, and for left activists, it's just full of lessons because all the key questions 
about changing the world are being posed. What is the role of institutions? Uh, what is the role of trade union leaders? What is reformism? All these questions are being posed in a very big way and very suddenly. Uh, and so that's uh, uh, excellent for, for socialists around the world, I think. Hmm. Yeah, John, so uh, I really love that French people are out protesting, um, you know, this raising of the pension age to 64, but it does raise a question in my mind, which is why it's actually lower than pretty much everywhere else in the world. Um, I know the the pension age here is, or the retirement age here in Australia is 67. I think it's about that in a lot of European countries as well. So how... That was um, set by Kevin Rudd, by the way, 67, Labor Party government. Labor, yeah, classic. Thanks for that, Roz. So, um, so why... How is it already quite low? How have uh, the French working class managed to maintain that? Uh, well, um, 62 at the moment is the minimum retirement age. The average retirement age is 63 and a half uh, because people find they don't have enough stamps to get a full pension because you know, there's, there's getting your pension and then there's getting a full pension, which is not huge, but it's uh, uh, it's got something. But the, ba- the basically, see, French neoliberalism has the same program as Thatcherism did, you know, weaken trade unions, privatise public services, promote individualism, smash up national negotiations for workers' conditions, impose local negotiations, make workers pay for everything, reduce taxes for the rich. But because of workers' resistance, there are many things the French ruling class has been unable to do. French workers work fewer hours and retire earlier than in most of Europe. Uh, Pensioner poverty is much lower. Students pay a couple of hundred euros a year for their studies, not tens of thousands of euros like they do in the UK. And there are dozens more examples. Now, this doesn't mean that French neoliberalism did not do uh, huge harm. Uh, It did. Unions have been attacked. Health and safety committees in workshops uh, uh, cut down enormously. Unemployment benefits have been slashed. Health budgets have been reduced. There are dozens more examples. But this combativity over the last 30 years um, has really made a difference. And it showed itself in dozens of strike movements, but there, there were six high points. I don't want to tell you all six of them, but only a couple of sentences each. Yeah. In, in 1995, the movement wanted to stop the right-wing government from slashing public sector pensions. Many weeks of mass strikes, Paris Metro completely closed for three weeks. We won and they withdrew the plan. In 2003, uh, the right-wing government declared public sectors must work much longer to get a full pension. A huge movement, millions in the streets, but we lost. 2006, the government announced a new employment contract for workers under 26, which allowed employers to fire workers without giving a reason in the first two years of employment. Massive strikes and demonstrations forced the government to cancel the law, even though it had already gone through Parliament and been signed into law. So we won. Uh, 2010, we lost when three million people on the streets didn't stop the government from moving the minimum retirement age from 60 to 62. 2016, it's a socialist party government that brought in a labour law, making it much easier to sack people, reducing wages for overtime and making whole sections of labour law renegotiable on a company by company basis. Huge movement, but we lost. 2018, the yellow vest, that's fairly well known, so I won't, I won't, won't mention too much. 2019, Macron is in power. Uh, he attacks the pensions and aims at transforming the present system into a point system which would have been easy to privatise. Ten massive days of action, each mobilising millions of people, 
forced him to shelve the bill as the pandemic arrived. So those are the, those are the high points. Now, the two key points here, first of all, all of these struggles, including today's, they are defensive struggles. They are to stop the neoliberals taking stuff away. So, so they're exciting and powerful and inspiring, but they are defensive struggles. But the other thing which is crucial is that they involve a high level of political class consciousness. Millions of workers over 26 went on strike and protested when the government uh, threatened a worse work contract for under 26s. Today, millions of workers on strike, uh, or, or at least in the demonstrations, who are not affected personally by the present Macron attack, because it's going, it's supposed to be introduced gradually, like myself, I'm retiring soon, so I won't be personally affected. Uh, but there's huge numbers of people taking part. So the idea that an injury to one is an injury to all, and the understanding that if they beat us in this bat battle, they'll be stronger for the next is, is very, very, is very, very wide, wide widespread. Uh, and there's also what happens behind the scenes. That is that even when we lose, we have a huge movement and we lose, the government quietly shelves a whole series of attacks, which they daren't even talk about. Like, for example, uh, the, the question of students paying for their own uh, university costs, uh, even the right wing, they daren't, they don't even mention it for the moment. So that's kind of the, the background. Yeah, it's a pretty that's good a score. Three all. <laughs> Three all. I, I think so. That's better than, yeah, yeah. <laughs> losing all the battles. Um. I was listening to a New York Times podcast about what's going on in France and that was one of the things that they were sort of like, oh, why are all these young people worried about pensions? They're nowhere near 62. I was sort of like, oh, my goodness, the level of um, political analysis there. And the other thing that, of course, the um, liberal media want to talk about is the economic rationale for the plan. But I think what you've outlined there is that it's, this is not, really an economic question in that sense in terms of macron's aim here on the well, surface well, well, it, yeah yeah there's well, an element of that but yeah interestingly enough his very own experts that is the the committee for pension strategy which is appointed by the prime minister says that this reform is not necessary uh, but but for macron it's the symbolic reform it's the minor strike it's what the minor strike was for thatcher uh, if he can get this yeah. one through, uh, he'll be he'll be way. And even if personally he's burned up politically, he doesn't care. Don't worry about him. He will be making millions on the dinner party exactly. circuit afterwards. Don't if you're worried. Don't. Uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, he, this is the symbolic issue. Um, but it's a lot. It's turning out to be a lot harder than he thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um. So in terms of the scale of what's been happening and you've been part of these demonstrations, can you give us some of your, um, yeah, what, what's it been like? What have you seen? How does this compare historically to those six? And then even, you know, people are making comparisons to 1968, the huge upheaval there. Like what, what's the scale and the historical significance, what we're seeing? Well, the, there have been so far been 10 national days of action since January, and the 11th one is on Thursday. Each one sees millions on the street in hundreds of towns uh, and hundreds of thousands striking, uh, and each one has seen motorways, schools, and universities blockaded. Uh, the smaller towns of twenty to 40,000 inhabitants, say, have been particularly impressive. You've sometimes got like a third of the population or half the population on the streets. Uh, so there's something really, yeah, so the, there's a, there were 12, 
12,000 uh, at Campere there. Now, the the other question yeah, is, is like, what does this mean historically? You know, how does this compare to 68 in particular? I, I have a quotation here from the right-wing newspaper, the uh, Daily Telegraph, uh, and they say, uh, what was it? France has entered a Marxian state of pre-insurrection. Now, this may show, this may be mostly about ruling class panic rather than an objective uh, analysis. Uh, I, and I think it is inter interesting, especially for Marxists, to think about the question of um, whether this is a pre-revolutionary situation. Now, this is partly a glass half full, glass half empty uh, uh, situation, but I'll, I'll, I'll come on onto that um, in, in a moment. The, the biggest actions... I would say that, well, the biggest actions of protest are still very much decided by the national union leadership. Um, the, 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 the police and army remain 100% loyal to the present regi regime. Uh, so it's not like 1968. In 1968, up to 10 million workers were on strike for weeks on end. President Charles de Gaulle fled to Germany to check on the loyalty of French troops. Uh, while in France, one of the police chiefs phoned the government and said, can I open fire on the students in my car park with live ammunition? Fortunately, they refused, but we're not at that level of crisis. The question of dual power, of the possibility of workers' institutions replacing the parliament and the government is not yet being posed. And also, uh, there are very, there are practically no flying pickets. Or what we had in 1995 was what we used to call a, a walking strike, where uh, people would walk out of one workplace and literally walk to the next workplace and persuade them to join the strike. And so we haven't had that sort of thing. Most of the uh, activity, uh, the mass activity, has been either organised by the national union leaderships or by the more radical, regional or sectional uh, unions. But the when the national union leaders call something, there's millions. And when the more radical sections call something, there's tens of thousands, which is wonderful. But, you know, I think it's important to, to get, keep uh, a sense of where it fits historically. On the other hand... 90% uh, of employed people are opposed to Macron's law, and the creativity of grassroots actions is inspiring. Motorway toll booths, toll booths are occupied and drivers let through for free. The energy workers have taken over in some places the distribution of energy, and, and they organise power cuts for right-wing political headquarters or for police stations, and they organise free electricity for hospitals. So all of this is teaching millions of people that ruling class power is fragile. And, and this is one essential element for building revolutionary uh, spirit. So certainly there's a crisis of hegemony, a crisis of legitimacy, a crisis of the regime, even a crisis of the Fifth Republic. Uh, we're not yet in a uh, in a pre-revolutionary situation, in my opinion. But I, you know, I I thank the comrades who talk about that because they're opening the right questions that we need to be talking about the question of power, even if it's not for now. We need to understand the question of power, um, and so that's the that's uh, that's the situation right now. For, uh, for as I speak to you, tens of thousands of workers are still uh, on open-ended strikes. Some going into their fifth week. Uh, oil refineries on strike are causing petrol shortages. Uh, and at the same time, some of the uh, ongoing strikes have been called off. Uh, the refuse collectors in Paris have gone back to work after three weeks. Uh, and uh, and uh, one of the major Paris railway depots have gone back to work after three weeks. This is largely, I will come to this, this is largely because they weren't uh, systematically supported by the national union leaderships uh, and they ended, ended up isolating. Uh, uh, isolating. Yeah. <laughs>
cameras across the world. One question is just about the the role of university and school students. I know this is a really a movement that's being led by uh, workers and the and the unions, but obviously students in high schools and universities have um, become heavily involved and have, you know, walked out of schools, walked out of universities, set up general assemblies to discuss some of the political issues. I was wondering if you could yeah, talk about kind of the role they've played. Yeah, it, it's, it's, been, it's been pretty exciting. Uh, I mean, the, uh, we noticed in the last day of action in Paris, because uh, like I said, the, there are demonstrations in 200 towns, and I, I get news from 10 of them, but that leaves 190. I know nothing about it at all. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, that in Paris, we really noticed that there were far, far more young people in the, uh, on the demonstration, far more young people's con- contingents. Uh, and every time there's a general, uh, uh, every time there's a, a general day of action, dozens of universities are blockaded including some universities which have practically no tradition of protest, like the, the Dauphine Business School in Paris and Assas in Paris, which is a, a law school, which has been more famous in the past for small but, radi- but, small but uh, noisy groups of fascists, uh, has been block- uh, blockaded. Uh, there have been more hi- high schools, hundreds of high schools are blockaded on every uh, day of action. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about uh, our, our local high school, uh, our local schools in uh, uh, in a moment. Here, I'm just outside Paris in the in the in the, in the suburbs. Um, so uh, it's been great to see the young people involved. Nevertheless, uh, this is the reason people are thinking about this is that uh, in 2006, when we won against a law which was already passed, it was like 150 universities blockaded. Uh, now, uh, where we're at at the moment, we're somewhere in the middle. Uh, the, the movement is not is not collapsing. But it's not accelerating either. So we've got dozens of universities out of the 200 or so. Uh, we've got hundreds of high, school, high schools out of the 5,000 or so. So that's the, that's the, 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 the situation uh, right now. Uh, interestingly enough, the uh, support in public opinion is still rising. Uh, this week, 63% of the population wanted the movement to continue. 40% of the population wanted the movement to get more radical. These are absolutely incredible uh, statistics. Uh, and of course, if you only count workers and not the entire population, these numbers are far, far higher. So the, the, when we talk about a crisis of hegemony, we, we really think that, you know, that there's tens of millions of people who don't think that uh, Macron, the MPs, uh, can do anything for them and that the answer is in the movement. Yeah, that is incredible. Um, so so uh, I should say, actually, um, we're recording this on Monday the 3rd of April. If you're listening to it and the situation has changed, it probably has changed. Um, but, yeah, this is where we are at this moment in time. Tell us then, you said you have local schools near you doing things. What what have you been at and seen? And tell us a story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah uh, the, you know, what what is it like to be in the, in, in the middle of it? I mean, it is amazing to see the... Young people's contingents, even on the uh, also on the on the demonstration. I, I, last time, uh, I, I think I sent you a little video. Hundreds of young people chanting "On est jeune, des terres et révolutionnaires." That is, we are young, fired up, and revolutionary. I mean, it's, it's just you know, it's a, it gives you such a boost to the morale. Or, or they're chanting, "We cut Louis the Sixteenth's head off. We can do it again, Macron." You know, so it's very. Uh, also, in, in the demonstration, hundreds of homemade placards, which are imaginative, hundreds. 
Uh, that's almost the sign of a real mass movement. Well, I mean, I've nothing against people producing placards in organizations, but, you know, when you've got loads of hun- homemade placards, it's always a very good idea. Now, uh, uh, imaginative or rude or both, now, uh, uh, just to, to at the danger of uh, reinforcing people's stereotypes, the French specialize in talking about sex. Uh, and so we had placards like, the retirement age is like my ass. If I say no, you don't get to touch it. Which is, you know, which is different, you know. <laughs> Lots of creativity. Uh, around the organization Attack, uh, a project has written a series of parody songs with choreography t- tutorials on YouTube and groups of women across the country dressed as trade union heroine Rosie the Riveter sing and dance the songs in the demos. Uh, but what I saw locally, which was wonderful, I was just going out to do something else and 200 yards down the road, I found that the middle school where 11 to 15-year-olds are taught, are taught, is blockaded by the pupils for their day of action. And there are six schools uh, in my uh, department alone, six middle schools, uh, which, which were blockaded. These are by 13 and 14-year-olds. You see them interviewed on the television. They know what they're talking about. Uh, of course, a lot of old people uh, among my colleagues say, oh, well, I'm sure their parents are pressurizing them. It's bollocks. They, they, they know what they're talking about. Uh, and, and they have the big placard in front, but doors barricaded, 100 uh, young, youngsters uh, sitting on the barricade, uh, and then this big uh, placard, if you spring 64 years on us, we'll spring 1968 on you, uh, which I think is you know, really, really great. Yeah, and of course, I've been loving the power cuts and so on. And I just, to end that, that comment, uh, this kind of crisis is harder on older activists than on younger ones because the young comrades are certainly going to win. Uh, because they haven't uh, the weight of the past defeats. Yeah, and us older comrades, we've seen a few victories and a lot of defeats, and we're losing sleep, thinking, "What if we lose?" And the younger comrades are speak- sleeping like angels. You know. <laughs> um, that's a nice picture. So, well, uh, to get more into the, some of the the nitty gritty details, I guess of of the movement, like who is leading the movement? Who would you, you know? What kind of organizations, who are some of the key figures and, and organizations? And I don't know if you have comments about their strategy as well. That would be good to know. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's a, a little bit of complication. Um, trade unions in France are divided into a, a number of different confederations. And very often you will join a workplace and then you'll join the union you choose to join very often poli- for political reasons. Some are more combative. Some are less combative. And of course, this is a real weakness being divided into five, six, seven conf- uh, confederations. Uh, but for the moment, uh, the national leaderships of these confederations are agreeing there is no way we're backing down 64 years, uh, 64, uh, the age of retirement at 64, it's a no. Uh, now, this is quite new because the least combative uh, confederation, the CFDT, Four years ago, they supported Macron's uh, reform uh, sort of pensions. So this time we've got this rather strange situation where you've got the, all of the uh, Union Confederations uh, 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 united. And they are really, they are running the big shows. Uh, at the evening of every national demo, they meet and decide when the next one will be. Now, the advantage is we've got each one of these federation leaders influence millions of people. Uh, so the, it's, it's an advantage to have them all in. On the other hand, in some ways, the, the, the more moderate, the more moderate ones, the less combative ones are, are, are calling the tune. 
Uh, and so, for example, this uh, to, uh, this Thursday's uh, National Act Day of Action is nine days after the previous one. That's a long time for the workers who were on renewable strikes. Uh, and so, you know, they 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 are limiting, and they've refused to. The, the national union leadership has refused to call an indefinite an indefinite strike, uh, general strike. Uh, they've also refused to organise actively to defend the strikers in the front line. There's been uh, there's been um, what's the word? There's been big, huge mass pickets in front of oil refineries, and the government intervening firstly with police and secondly requisitioning workers, making it legally obligatory for certain workers to go to work. And the mass pickets have been trying to stop this happening, and the national union leaderships have not been mentioning it. No, no support there. Uh, similarly, collections of money, and money is key because uh, when you get into into third week, fourth week of strike, money is very, very important. And there's been plenty of cut. Well, there's been a surprising amount for France of money being collected, but it's always been the regional CGT, uh, sorry, the regional trade union or uh, a political organisation. The national union leaderships could have launched a huge uh, money collecting thing. You know, every shopkeeper must have a uh, a, a, a basket for the for the money, that sort of thing. Remember, we have ninety percent of employed people who agree with us. Uh, and the, so the national union leadership have been showing the nature of union bureaucracies. That is to say that they uh, they are professional negotiators. Uh, they're happy to have this movement because it will get them back to the negotiating table in a position of strength. But negotiation is the centre of their world and always will be. However, whether it's the left or the right of the unions. Now, I only mentioned the least combative. Uh, the CFDT, the CGT uh, is uh, uh, more combative, uh, and then Su uh, Solidaire is the most uh, uh, combative. But this can be a problem because Solidaire, although they're great and they're regionally, they organise fabulous blockading the railways, blockading the motorways, and so on. Historically, in the long term, it's been a weakness to have all the radical left workers in some industries separated off into this kind of red union. Uh, and you know, there were they had their reasons. Uh, but it's a real weakness because when when the struggle really rises, the influence of the more radical workers is less uh, because they're in a separate union. So this is something very specific. And the, but the, the whole lesson of the movement is, you know, and we uh, as as Marxists, we know stuff about union leaderships and we know stuff about reformists. But in every concrete situation, there are different things coming up and, and which really need to be, uh, to to be looked at. That's what I'd say about uh, about that. Uh, the radical actions, as I mentioned, uh, radical action, you know, blocking railways, um, uh, power cuts on on on, on police stage, stations, blocking the docks, blocking whole wholesale distribution centres. These are generally organised either by the CGT or by Solidaire, but regionally, the national union leadership is is not interested in that. Now, so far, the national union leaderships, they are refusing to, to back down. So they've agreed to meet the prime minister tomorrow. But they've said, we're only meeting to tell you you have to withdraw this law. So they may well just turn up for 10 minutes. The reason they're agreeing to meet uh, is because the least combative ones want to meet. And the more the, the more combative ones they want, it's better to go along with them and make sure they don't they don't uh, 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 they, they don't betray the movement yeah so so yeah so there are reasons about uh, pri pri uh prioritizing unity but there's a big cost as well yeah um that's all really useful and again the lessons for the left and the revolutionary left i guess one of the questions that i know regular listeners of red flag radio will want to know is what about the left the 
political organizations. So France and Sumis, like what's the role there um, or any other organizations that are springing up or being influential? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I should declare my interest as a supporter of the France Insoumise, uh, although it is a very loose organization with a lot of different kinds of ideas within it. Most people involved in the France Insoumise, which is best translated as France in revolt, despite what the newspapers say, uh, most people involved are not revolutionaries. Even if there are hundreds of revolutionaries working in the France Insoumise, some of them producing their own newspapers, Basically, what you need to understand is that the huge waves of class conscious struggle, which I described a moment ago, left enormous political marks on the French working class. Deep political crisis in the 2022 presidential election, the socialists and the republicans, the two parties who had dominated politics for the last 60 years, between them, they got 7%. And both the fascist candidate and the radical left candidate, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, got more than 20%. Uh, so what was what's happening here? Well, after the huge struggles, sometimes victorious, sometimes not, uh, often not, people were looking for a political way forward, lots of people. And they didn't become millions of Marxists because Marxism was still very solidly linked to Stalinism in people's minds, unfortunately, and, and linked to Soviet imperialism in people's minds. And also they didn't become millions of Marxists because the Marxist organizations, we were not big enough or perhaps not smart enough to grow much, but people looked for a radical left insurgent option. And this is what made the France Insoumise possible. The France Insoumise calls for a citizen's revolution, which is meant to happen by sweeping away the fifth republic, putting a sixth republic in its place while defending a very radical program, retirement to 60, 100% renewable energy, 100% organic farming, a big rise in the minimum wage, a billion euros to fight violence against women. And that's what they call a citizen's revolution. Now, I think, and I think you might agree with me, that we need a workers' revolution to replace capitalism. But the vast majority of workers in France are not Marxists and don't make a clear distinction between this citizens' revolution, which Mélenchon is calling for, and a workers' revolution. And so that's what's meant, that's what's led to the tremendous success of the radical left. Seven million votes at the presidential elections uh, last year, and 74 members of parliament, this is the France Insoumise. Now, if you imagine that in Britain, Jeremy Corbyn had left the Labour Party and built a radical left alternative, then got seven million votes, well, that's the France Insoumise. Now, obviously, I've got lots of disagreements with the leadership of the France Insoumise, but right now they're playing an excellent role. Yeah, in in Parliament, when 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 Elizabeth Bourne, the Prime Minister, announced that the pensions bill would be passed without a vote, the France Insoumise MPs were all there holding up placards for the uh, uh, cameras, cameras reading "See you in the streets." You know, the reformists, but you know, I could get get on with that kind of people. It's a powerful organization. They continue door-to-door campaigns, even outside electoral periods, which is something uh, unusual for reformist groups. And this week, uh, it's been announced that one of the leaders, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, one of the France Insoumise leaders, is being taken to court by one of Macron's ministers for his declarations about police violence. So he was speaking about the motorbike cops who left two environmental protesters in a coma fighting for their lives last week. And he said, this squad should be dissolved and that its members should be sent off to get psychological help because you must be not normal in your head to volunteer to ride a ride ride around on a motorbike. People 
uh, beating people up. So he's been taken to court for that. And in general, Macron is going to launch an enormous smear campaign against uh, the France Insoumise. Uh, and hopefully the whole of the left will 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 be defending it, but it's not absolutely sure. Now, I do want to talk about the revolutionary left without uh, going into great details, uh, uh, because there's a lot of them. Uh, in France, there are three revolutionary organizations with a couple of thousand of members each, one with about a thousand, and four with a couple of hundred each. Uh, but I would so obviously that's, that's not enough. We, we need more. But also, I think some of the key questions have not been being, be, be, being posed. I think we, uh, there is no organization having a meeting in every town, general strike, how and why. There is no organization organizing a rally in front of the meeting of the national union leaderships. We need an indefinite general strike. Give us a break. Go further. Uh, that, that it's not, in, in fact, in general, I would say that understanding of the specific role of trade union leaderships uh, is is relatively absent um, from uh, Marxist Marxist organisations in France. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want to be I don't want to be sound like the red professor giving marks out of ten to each organisation. In each of these organisations, there are hundreds of people. Most of them doing a fuck of a lot more than I am for the for the movement. I mean, you know, one of the organisations they filled a couple of buses with students from Paris and took the, took them down to the oil refineries to join the oil refinery workers uh, de uh, de defending the defending the strike. You know, so there's, there's some great revolutionary activists around. I suspect, however, that most of them are really good left trade unionists. And the, the Marxist ideas and the looking at questions of dual power, questions of trade union uh, bureaucracy, questions of how to relate to reformists, especially re reformists who are talking about citizen revolution, how to talk to them about, yeah, well, let's go into detail. Tell me more about the citizen's revolution and let's see what the historical experience uh, was. We had Mitterrand, huge left government in the 1980s, disaster. Uh, we need to talk about that. Uh, 1968, why did it rise and why did, why did it lose at the end? I mean, it won some things, but it, it didn't bring out a revolution. Yeah, so all, all of these things, you know, these need to, need to be done. So I, 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 bo I both delighted and very disappointed with the revolutionary fr uh, uh, left in France. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like there's a lot to be clarified still. And still, like everywhere, the need to build a strong revolutionary organisation. <laughs> The way of the revolution One question I had is about kind of, I mean you've started to answer it but you know 40% of the population of France which is I think a majority of the people who support uh, the the rebellion think it should radicalize um, so I was wondering what in your mind that would look like. What is the way forward for this movement and what are some of the debates that you might be having with people, debates on the left or in the union movement about the way forward? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I think that the key thing is to actually win this demand. Uh, and so the indefinite general strike is is what, what I would most like to say. Now, it, it may be possible to win without an indefinite strike, uh, general strike, but it's pretty risky to try that. On the other hand, sadly, the situation today is if the national union leaderships are not made to call it, there won't be an national democracy. The influence of the national union le leadership is absolutely massive. 
Uh, and this is why I think that right now, uh, revolutionaries should be saying the national union leaderships should call uh, and a definite general strike, rather than whereas many people on the radical left and the revolutionary left are saying, oh, yeah, no, we don't need the national union leaderships. Everybody in their own workplace can make this happen. Uh, and that's a vaguely sort of anarcho-syndicalist way of looking at the world. And I, I think it, it, uh, it's ma mistaken. Most of the most of the, the the debates going on right now, well, some people are debating, you know, this question of how important is keeping all the union leaderships on board uh, and how important is it to radicalize? There's a lot of discussion about what other demands, apart from refusing this reform, should be put forward. Uh, some people on the radical left are saying we should add the demand for retirement at 60, which is the official position of the France Assemblies, for example. Some people are saying we should add salary demands. And some people say we should add anti-racist demands to, 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 the, to the strike. Now... Uh, personally, I think that adding the correct demands is not the problem. I think anti-racism will be better served by victory against this reform than by adding tremendously correct lists of anti-racist demands. I, I don't want to sound cynical. Uh, already, Macron has been forced to temporarily save, uh, shelve, temporarily shelve a vicious racist immigration law he was planning to push through this year. Um, but I, I spoke to, after uh, uh, we, we spoke, we I got your message, I spoke to a couple of people in Paris and Marseille, um, and they were saying that, yes, there's a, that, that's, that's one of the big, the big uh, debates is about uh, uh, unity with all the national union leaderships. Um, but there's also, on the political side, among the soft left, there's a whole section of the left, including the Communist Party, which still has 50,000 members and 12 MPs, uh, who've been calling for a referendum on the pensions law. Now, all around my town, it's a town where the mayor is communist, there are posters calling for a referendum. Uh, now, according to the French constitution, a movement can force a referendum if they have the signatures of 200 MPs and four and a half million citizens. But the process takes nine months. So right now, I consider it to be a somewhat dangerous diversion. And uh, I'm pleased to say that... Uh, uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon of the France Insoumise said it's not a priority. So yeah, those are some of the debates that that that, that are going on. Otherwise, you know, you, you get some debates about uh, uh, violence. For example, after the demonstrations, people have been uh, um, burn, uh, burning rubbish bins in Paris and uh, uh, and smashing the windows of banks um, and, and things like that, which is most of what you see in the paper because the papers don't care about the millions of people they just want to find a uh, a nice so it's got, got so it's given some good memes though of people in paris having a coffee while there's burning uh, stuff in stuff in the background uh there's remarkably little few people in the movement denouncing the people who are who are burning burning rubbish and smashing windows uh it, it's the atmosphere is more uh, well what did macron expect you know, he's allowing nine out of 10 of worker uh, employed people who are against this law. He's pushing it through. What does he expect to happen? Now, that doesn't mean that they're saying, oh, yeah, it's great. I'm going to go and smash a bank window myself. That looks fun. Uh, but they, they saw a fabulous pl uh, placard in the demo last week. Somebody had a huge placard. It said, uh, I am not violent yet. Uh, I thought it was a really, uh, a, a, a really good one. Yeah, so those are the main debates that are going on. Yeah, I think that um, the stuff about the trade union leadership is interesting because sort of part of the discussions that um, some of us have been having here, I know in my branch meeting we were talking about 
the fact that there isn't a real rank and file organisations within the trade union movement to either just act independently or to provide the pressure on the leadership. But as you said, the idea that you can assert that pressure um, without rank and file organisations or for people to just think spontaneously workers are going to all go on a general strike when the bureaucracy has such a tight handle on things, it seems um, that the lessons of history have maybe been learnt as much as they could have been. The other element of it, um, as you said, in terms of the sort of polarisation of politics is the far right. So as you said, Le Pen got 10 million votes at the presidential elections, 88 members of parliament. Is there a danger that the far right could somehow benefit from what's going on now? Well, this is what the conservative press is saying at the moment, yeah, uh, that if Macron fell, the far right would win out. Uh, but they're saying that because they like Macron. It's how Macron would like us to see, to see the world. First of all, the general situation, class struggle is bad for fascists because it shows to millions of people that there's a way forward through organising collective struggle against our rulers and not by blaming immigrants. The entire country is talking about how can we get money from the rich to pay the pensions? And they're not talking about how dangerous Muslims are and, think, and, uh, and things like that. Now, the actual organised fascists uh, are in, in having a terrible time. Uh, Marine Le Pen, she's the leader, Marine Le Pen's electoral base includes large numbers of small business people, so she cannot support trade union mass struggle. In any case, activists from her organisation, which is now called the National Rally, dare not turn up at demonstrations with banners because they'd be thrown off. But also in France, with one of the most violent police forces in Europe, mass movements are obliged sooner or later to focus also on the question of police violence. But in France, at least half the police vote for the fascists. So there's no way Le Pen can oppose uh, police violence. So it leaves Marie Le Pen with a huge headache because the vast majority of people us who usually vote for her oppose M Macron's attacks on pensions. I think it was 85% of, uh, of her usual voters. Uh, and so the result is they've all been remarkably quiet. They, they began by trying to say, oh, there wouldn't be a problem with pension if the French state encouraged French women to have more children. But even the right doesn't think, even right-wing people don't think like that anymore. You know, it just wasn't going to work. Uh, and otherwise, they tried to say, oh, well, you know, we'd have enough money if we weren't spending so much money helping the immigrants. But it's pretty, it's pretty inaudible. Um, so they're having a bad time, which is wonderful. On the other hand, from an electoral point of view, if Macronism collapses, like the traditional right and Socialist Party both collapsed, Macron's voters will be very much tempted to move over to uh, Le Pen. So for the present period, the fascist MPs are playing it ultra respectable. I thought it was really sounding, oh, yeah, oh, well, I hope that the, that violence in the streets won't affect our democracy. And that's what they're saying. Uh, and some of Macron's ministers are pay, playing along. One of them recently declared that the national rally respected Republican values far more than did the France Saint-Soumise. So if there were new elections, the radical work, the radical left would certainly have to work very hard to get the vote out and persuade people not to abstain. But also, we, we really could do with a, a national <coughs> organisation specifically uh, aimed at stopping the fascists, which we don't have. The latest polls show 26% for the France Saint-Soumise and 26% for the fascists. 
in uh, in an in an imaginary election tomorrow. So yeah, so that's the, that's the situation. I mean, it, it's it's a wonderful thing, uh, class struggle to marginalise fascists. But uh, if we don't have a political alternative, then they they they're always going to bounce back. They're they're far far more powerful electorally uh, than organisationally in France. Uh, the last time that the fascists organised a fascist march of more than a thousand people is ten years ago. Uh, so yeah, they they got this rather. Uh, they have a great difficulty getting on onto the streets. Well, um, probably to to move on to sort of where we think this is heading um, and what the possibilities are for the future. Um, obviously, Macron is really entrenched in this position. He's not running again in four years, and uh, the ruling class want this reform. And he's you know um, basically. Sp- planted his flag here and and wants to fight to the end, um, wants this to be his legacy, you know, winning and, and pushing through this neoliberal reform despite all the resistance. Um, so what do you think are the, are the, the possibilities? Um, the way that I've been listening to some media reports, they're like, oh, will this, do you think there's some way that the protests and the strikes can change Macron's mind? Obviously <laughs> his mind's not going to be changed, but is there, um, yeah, you know, how... What do you think the possibility is of of winning this uh, and of escalating in the way you've said should happen? Yes. Um, Well, I would say the situation is still wide open. Um, If 40% of people want the movement to get more more radical, that's a a, a tremendous uh, sign. The national union leaderships are kind of stuck because the the, the least combative of of them dare not abandon ship yet. Although they are muttering about the need for arbitration, they've asked. They asked Macron uh, to appoint arbitrators to decide the to decide the question. Uh, Macron told, told them to get lost, which is probably quite good for for, for us. Uh, they've agreed to meet the prime minister uh, on Wednesday, but they've said they'll discuss nothing else apart from the need for the government to withdraw. So, yeah, I mean, people from abroad are, for, are forever contacting me and saying, tell me what's going to happen next week. But it doesn't really work like that. The movement could fade, but it doesn't yet look likely. The movement could accelerate, but there's no clean, clear sign yet. Uh, two things are going to happen this week. First of all, the, pri- the prime minister is meeting all of the leaders of all the political parties, except the France Insoumise and the Communist Party have refused to meet. But the meet- meeting the fascists and the right wing of the Socialist Party, um, uh, the Greens have an intermediate position. They agreed to meet, but only to talk about police violence. So, you know, something intermediate. Um, and uh, they're meeting the uh, trade union leaders on Wednesday. And on Friday, the Constitutional Council is going to give its report saying, does this law, uh, which has been has gone through Parliament without a vote, but it's gone through Parliament according to the Constitution, does this law fit with the Constitution? Now, some people are saying uh, that uh, the Constitutional Council could give Macron a way of retreating and not losing too much face. And other people are saying, oh, they won't do that. Uh, and people are really speculating because the, the president of the, of the, of the 
Constitutional Council is a is an ex prime minister uh, who used to be a, a socialist party prime minister who hates Macron. Uh, uh, on the other hand, if he really hates Macron, he might not want to give him a way out to to, to lose face. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to get too much into that because I think it, it personalizes it too much. But that's one possibility. I'm not expecting the Constitutional Council to, to say anything interesting, uh, and so I'm expecting the standoff to to last uh, another three or four weeks. And in that time, you know, some unexpected events, uh, you know, either hopeful or tragic, uh, hopeful because, say, all the universities get blockaded uh, or tragic, like the police actually kill somebody, which is far from uh, impossible, could change the uh, the perspective. So I'm sorry not to give a very satisfactory look into the crystal ball, but I'm, I'm doing yeah. what I can. No, I think you've given us uh, every possibility there. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. No, there's no way of knowing. So people should, uh, people will obviously continue to follow this. And um, uh, either way, um, hopefully, if things do accelerate, we'd love to have you back and hear about it. And so um, send our solidarity from Red Flag Radio for the people that you see struggling. And those 13 year olds tell you what, give us yeah. some of those over here. It'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, and good luck with, good luck with your uh, Marxism event, which is coming up, I believe. Yes, so Marxism this Easter weekend, if you're listening before Easter weekend. Emma, tell us about Marxism, why you should be there. <laughs> well, Marxism's the biggest uh, left-wing conference in Australia. There'll be probably well over a 1,000 people there. We're going to be hearing from uh, speakers from all over the world involved in struggles, people like John um, who've, you know, been fighting back against the capitalist system around the world and lots of other fascinating topics. Basically, it's a smorgasbord, like any possible topic or question you might have about, pol you know, socialist politics or history uh, will be discussed and answered there. So get your ticket. It goes for the whole Easter weekend. Yeah. Um, three and a half days. Yeah. Yeah. Highly, highly recommended. Marxismconference.org. Have a look at the program, get your tickets, come along and we will come and say hello. We'll be there. Um, John, thank you so much. You're listening to Red Flag Radio. We have a world to win. <laughs>